0: to Roll With Adventure, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination from our world to the far-off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and, of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imaginations to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, please visit us at rollwithadventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure.
1: welcome to Roll With Adventure. This session's campaign is of salt and blood. My name is Cass, and I am the Dungeon Master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins on the 23rd of Morgren, in the year 1069 PR, the day the Dauntless reached. That's Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, what intelligent delight or mind-numbing tale have you to share with us tonight?
2: Well, I was looking up. At- things about vultures because there's a big whole group of vultures that live right by my apartment and I really like them. I really think vultures are super cool. And you know how people, like some people like feed crows because the crows will like come and like bring them gifts. I was like, maybe you could just do that with a vulture, but uh probably not. Turns out they're probably not quite so friendly as crows. Um, But I did find out that there's a whole bunch of different names for vulture, like a group of vultures, including a committee, a venue, um, and then if they're in flight specifically, they're called a kettle. But then if they're around, you know, dead whatever they're eating, they're called a wake, which is the kind of dark humor that I just love. So funny. That is
1: amazing.
2: Yeah. Right. So fun! I'm gonna take. I think I'm just gonna take a zero for this. It's not really very important, but awake, a wake of vultures,
3: amazing. Mine's a mind-numbing fact. Uh, I like watch. I like watching TikToks because I used to love Vine back in the day, and I just kind of switched over to TikTok. And usually my feed's pretty good, I think. But I came up across a TikTok of this girl, and the song was like the song lyric she was mouthing was something along the lines of like. Uh I hope you walk in on me sleeping with your dad. Uh But the caption was the consequences of my own actions and the girl looked pregnant and it implied that she did the lyrics of the song. And I'm like, I hope that's not real. Uh So I'm going to take a minus two because that is very sad. And I don't know why it showed up on my TikTok.
0: Or why somebody would make a TikTok about it if it's true. Well, on a totally different note, I am here to share with you about Shrove Tuesday, which is the day that comes right before Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. So Shrove Tuesday is traditionally a time for confession of your sins in preparation for Lent, time of self-examination and introspection. And anyway, I found out about Shrove Tuesday. I don't actually observe Lent or Shrove Tuesday, but it is a day where people eat a lot of pancakes. And I love pancakes. So on Shrove Tuesday, people eat a lot of pancakes. And the reason for this is because a lot of the ingredients that go into pancakes, egg, sugar, fat, are traditionally forbidden during Lent. So people would be using up the ingredients that they had in their pantry so that they wouldn't go to waste during Lent. In case you're interested, this year, Shrove Tuesday is on March first. So get your pancake recipes ready. I'm going to take a a plus two with full intention of making a lot of pancakes on March 1st.
4: What a sweet fact, Allie. I loved it. Thank you. I learned the way that the old aristocracy of the Americas used to fight was in competition, specifically flower competitions. Would you ever imagine the biggest names in American industry used to compete in different state flower competitions in order to see who who could produce the most beautiful of a specific type of flower. They would have plants imported from all over the world and crossbred and raised particularly and have like Thousands of them and they would compete with just one flower and they would win a little medal Um, But I guess beyond that they would earn prestige Which is uh, much more dignifying to them. So anyway, that's my fun fact And I will take a plus one because it's fun information, but quite useless
1: Well, let's see what you roll
3: Nine
0: I rolled an 11
3: Uh, negative one.
0: That's awesome. That's a 21. Hi, my name's Allie. I'm playing Maya Volta, a human cleric of Cain, who I think still doesn't regret freeing Sharuna, but is definitely having to think deeply about the consequences of their actions.
2: Hi, I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antius. She's a half elf monk, and she's now quite concerned that all of everybody is going to be eaten by a giant devouring worm.
4: I am Disco, and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi Druid of the Half Moon Circle, who is a walking, talking, big Sharuna fan to the point where he probably will knit a sweater with her likeness.
3: Magic Mirror. Hello, my name's Corey, and I play Kalina Floros, who's a human fighter that was an ex-soldier in the Tyrant army. And she is terrified of all the consequences that her and her friends are going to get because of her. Hello, everyone. A
1: few words before we get started. You likely have noticed Carlos is absent. As mentioned during the end of last session, Carlos couldn't make the re-recording. In addition to this, due to a recent change in work hours and a move, Carlos has informed me that he needs to step away from Roll with Adventure. We hope this won't be forever, and there will be a place for Carlos back at this table if the greatest foe of all gaming groups can be vanquished. Scheduling conflicts. And now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember here, we roll with adventure. As the Dauntless approaches Atzacan. It orients itself parallel to the coast, surveying in search of a suitable landing site. But from the depths of the ship, down in the brig, you can only hear a flurry of activity above you. There are the sounds of footsteps in the distance, closing towards the brig. And then you see a sailor, Perhaps the same one who led the party that wanted to meet out their justice to you. He stands by your guards, and just loud enough for you to hear, informs them. land has been sighted. We're almost there. You won't have to guard them much longer. With a jerk of his thumb in your direction. Once they're lashed good and proper, a captain will turn him out to the wilds. If the beasts don't get him, I'm sure more than one person will do the right thing to repay them for their kindness. He leaves the last words hanging in the air before he turns to leave, a vicious glint alighting in his eye. You've been trapped in the brig on half rations for 26 days now, without access to your magic or your gear, with the threat of punishment hanging heavily over you. But now you're almost to again. How do you feel? How do you feel about what awaits you?
0: Nervous. Tired. Probably sick. I don't think Maya realized that we were just going to be like turned out to fend for ourselves and, um, that sounds really worrying because we're probably not going to be in any condition to fend for ourselves if it doesn't outright kill us anyway. Maybe we won't have to worry about being turned out into the wild. If we have any friends left other than Sylvie, will they even be allowed to help us?
3: So Kalina is kind of more of, like, hangry, irritated at the moment. Uh She's kind of used to not eating on the battlefield, but has used to, would be able to move around at least and distract herself. And it's been kind of hard to distract herself cramped up in such a small quarter, and just worrying about everyone else. She's not really worried too much about herself, uh, but she also can't think straight with how little she's eaten and how, I guess, hot and exhausting it's been in the cell. She's just ready for it to be over with, and we'll figure it out on the way. Studies show
4: when people are limited in food and locomotion, they often find a lot of clarity. And I think that's where Alice has gone to for these past couple of days. More than a couple. But, you know, having that extreme focus and being used to being completely uh, disassociated with his physical form. Um, I think that he's really uh, had good time to connect with himself and not really looked at it as a punishment. Um, In fact, he's not really sure why everyone else is complaining. Um, We haven't had to really do work. I think that with what comes ahead, Alice really isn't isn't really focused on it, because I think that that would bring him terror. But what has brought him terror are these moments of realizing that Bria, Geneva, Serena, Tina, and Vienna are um, without him on this journey. I think that he feels a great deal of responsibility to his flock. And because of that, he's been kind of thinking about different ways to drive the guards who have been keeping him here. Absolutely insane during the duration of this. So I think that he's done a lot of, um, Strange whispers that he's tried to bounce off the walls to scare them. Um, I think that he's done a tremendous amount of continuous rhythmic tapping that sounds like dripping to drive them crazy um, while his friends are sleeping, specifically because he knows that they have to continue to keep watch. That's what has been going on with Alice.
1: Far above the break, Sylvie, above deck, from your vantage in the crow's nest you can take in the sights of the coast and of this little slice of Atsagan. Over the next hour, you look towards verdant jungles teeming with life. They crawl up jagged cliffs and into towering mountains. Along the shore, in places, you see signs of life. A pack of sea drakes lounging in the sun on the ruins of a ship. Strange bird-like creatures circling in the sky. And other, larger, reptilian beasts. Peeking out at the edge of the jungle. But more comes into focus. Dotting the rocky shores. Caught on hidden reefs. Smashed to bits at the base of the cliffs. You see countless wrecks. Wrecks the shattered remnants of vessels, and a stark realization sinks into you. It isn't that explorers never reached Atsakan. They never made it back. Luscious leans on the rail of the crow's nest to your right. The crew's memories don't do it justice. There's a wistful tone in his voice. Khan leans on the other side of you, looking out towards the coast as well. It certainly takes your breath away. Do you have anything to say?
2: I don't know if I've ever seen anything so green, and it's beautiful.
1: Fragments of maps, they call it the Shatterkeel Crescent, this region of Atsakan dangerous and wild one. Claimed the lives of so many explorers except for the few that made it back through the mist wall. There are certainly a lot of shipwrecks here, but when we were here last, we didn't find anyone alive. Scouting parties were sent inland, but aside from a few ruins, didn't find much, and of course... The captain didn't send anyone farther inland than the base of the mountains. He just shakes his head. Luscious. He sort of looks around. He can almost feel something. There's a lot of strong magic here. An abundance of it, even, I'd say. It's like trying to breathe through a wall of water. There's more magic here than I felt back on Aventai anywhere. What are you gonna do when you get there? This question hangs in the air. You're unsure if it's directed at you or at Con.
2: Well if Con doesn't respond, Sylvie's gonna go, Well well I'm gonna take care of my friends, and then then we'll see where we end up. I just have to make sure everybody is okay first
1: admirable.
2: I wish there was something that we could do.
1: And he sort of shakes his head. Khan continues. He goes around the crow's nest a little bit, surveying. And as this is going on, as your conversation, as you take in more of the sights, can you give me a perception check?
2: Well, I sure can. This is really good. I rolled the natural one. So plus three, so four. Though this goes
1: unnoticed, a shadow passes over the Dauntless. And all three of you, the hairs on the back of your neck, it stands up straight. And a deep feeling of unease, of uninterpretable primal fear forms in the depths of your mind. It settles over everyone. Even all the way down to the belly of the ship. And though, Sylvie, it is just a discomfort for you and you don't seem to notice it for a few moments, you'll see Con shiver and almost freeze, his hand going towards his blade, and Luscious suddenly looking about. Did you feel that?
2: What? was that? I don't know. Maybe
1: just a a change in temperature? The, The sun must have gone behind a cloud. But looking up, there's not a cloud in the sky. Not a single cloud in the sky. As the Dauntless navigates around a spit of the coast... You see a calm, sandy beach in the distance, Sylvie. A perfect landing beach. Below, on the main deck, is a flurry of activity with shouted orders barely rising up to you. And then suddenly, the sky blackens with roiling clouds. Clouds that were not there a moment ago. And the sea heaves beneath the Dauntless itself. Waves triple in height as the wind howls, and a roar, unlike anything you've ever heard, echoes across the water. You barely retain your footing at the sudden change as a massive wave strikes the side of the Dauntless and washes over the deck, snaring and dragging unfortunate sailors and colonists with it. Beside you, Khan, his face a mask of determination, quickly begins to tie a knot, to tie a rope around the three of you, while Luscious's face pales in horror at both the sound and the sudden changes. Will you help Khan with the rope, or will you do something else?
2: I think with everybody's, like, intensity, I think she would try and help with the rope, because she really doesn't want to fall off. That would be really awful, and... What the heck? What's going as on? As
1: you struggle to help tie the rope around yourself and Khan and Luscious, Luscious's voice just rolls out. His eyes are wide. It's, it's unnatural. Someone or something is controlling the weather. Another wave strikes the Dauntless, washing across its deck as screams break out below. The ship orients itself towards the beach and the safety of the shallow waters where the waves do not come in as high another wave strikes the dauntless and then another over and over the waves batter against the ship there is a flash of lightning and in the sky sylvie in the sky you see a shadow the silhouette of a terrifying winged creature. It hangs amongst the clouds. As you look towards it, fear grips your heart, your blood pounds through your arteries and veins, and adrenaline spikes. You are consumed by an overwhelming urge to flee, but the ropes tying you to Luscious and Khan, they stop you, not that there is anywhere to go in this crow's nest. Suddenly, the Dauntless strikes something beneath the waves. You hear a horrendous cracking noise, and you are thrown against the side of the crow's nest. In the belly of the ship, Maya, Alice, and Kalina give me a dexterity throw as you are tossed amongst the cell. Of the brig.
3: Thirteen. Eighteen.
1: Five. Alice, you will take six bludgeoning damage. Kalina and Maya, you will take three bludgeoning damage. As in the belly of the ship in the brig, you are tossed from side to side as the Dauntless lurches amongst the waves. There is a sound, a sound of something snapping, of a rope. And a barrel, unsecured during the recent turbulence, comes flying down the passageway and smashes into your guards, slamming them against the bars of the brig. The lone hanging lantern, it swings wildly, casting light and shadow in erratic displays. Another wave, it strikes the Dauntless, and a rush of water spills down into the depths of the ship. The two guards... They lie sprawled against the bars of the brig, surrounded by the shattered remnants of the barrel that struck them down. They don't move, the neck of one bent at an unnatural angle.
3: What will you do? Do both of them look like they're dead or just one of them?
1: Are you going to check? Only one has their neck bent at an unnatural angle.
3: First, I think Colleen's gonna look for the keys, or try and find the keys, if there's a key set of keys on them.
1: I would like to help. So the
3: two of you will try
1: and searching through the pockets. Maya, what will you do?
0: Maya's praying if the other one is also dead. Can she make a, a medicine check, maybe?
1: Can I have dexterity sleight of hand checks from both Kalina and from Alice? And Maya, can I have a medicine check from you?
0: 14 for the medicine check.
4: 16 plus 4 for me, so dirty 20.
0: 22 for Kalina.
1: As you search the guards' pockets for the key to your cell, the Dauntless lurches once more, and you are thrown. But luckily for you, Kalina, at the last moment, you snagged the keys, grabbing them before you were hurled back. Maya, in that moment as you are hurled back, you feel the breath of life. The one man is still alive, though unconscious. Again, the vessel lurches. It rises and falls with the waves. Water deluges down into the belly of the ship. And then it happens. The Dauntless strikes a hidden reef, and chaos is unleashed. You are dashed against the bars. This time, please give me a constitution saving throw.
0: Thirteen.
1: Seven.
3: Twelve.
1: You will all take four bludgeoning damage. As you blink, trying to get your bearings on what has happened, water floods into the lower sections of the ship, swelling up to your chests before it flows back out a hole in the hull, stretching along the right side of the Dauntless. You hear the sound of jagged stone and coral grinding the Dauntless and its wood to bits with each pound of the rolling waves. How do each of you react?
3: Kalina's going to try and open the gate within this chaos. I would like to help Kalina. I have really good vision, so I'll like make
4: sure that Kalina's like you know. I'm going to look at the key from a different angle, like to make sure that it's, that it's you know aligning and everything.
0: Maya would also like to help by helping to hold Kalina in place as the boat, as the ship, is being tossed. she doesn't lose her balance or her grip on the keys.
1: Okay. Kalina, we're going to do a sleight of hand check because you are trying to do this deftly, get a key in there while the ship is rocking back and forth and water it keeps sloshing in and out. But for Maya and Alice's help, I'll give you advantage.
3: Basically just how I envisioned it. (laughs) Just like, gotta put this freaking thing in. A little to the right, a little to the... Fifteen. Another
1: wave surges into the lower decks of the Dauntless, and with it, a large crack extends into the brig, the boards of the ship peeling and bowing out, and with it, magic. The anti-magic properties of the brig have been damaged, and it comes flooding back to you. Maya, Alice and Marcus, are each staggered by the sudden resurgence of magic. But Kalina, you feel calmer and more confident. Reroll with advantage, and you can have a circumstantial plus five.
3: Seventeen. Sorry, guys. There is a
1: click, and the door to the brig begins to open. And amidst these actions that you have taken, there is a howling sound. For far above the brig in the crow's nest, Sylvie, you and your companions watch in horror as the clouds and sea both twist, reaching towards each other like two fingers of Hadoum, lord of sea and sky, one stretching down from the heavens and the other rising from the sea to meet it. A waterspout forms, the winds howling, all sound is snatched from your throats as it careens towards the Dauntless, urged on by this unnatural will. Luscious and Khan reach out to your hands, the three of you hugging close as it pulls at you. In the belly of the Dauntless, the ship strains against the pull of the sea and sky. There is a great wrenching sound as the Dauntless begins to tear itself apart. There is a moment of weightlessness, an explosive sound, a flare of light, and then darkness. You do not know how much time has passed when each of you will awaken. Your forms are battered and bruised. Cut and damaged. But each of you will remember brief struggles. The waves smashing you down, dragging you under and spitting you up. The strong current that wouldn't be denied. The swirling of debris. Glimpses of strange-looking sea life caught up in the storm. And the occasional glimpse of a fellow struggling person, as the current pulled you briefly together before wrenching you apart, the draw of the waterspout that wished to pull you into the very sky, the storm tossed you like a rag doll, and struggle as you might the most you could do was time your breathing, gasping air when possible, in an attempt to avoid drowning before you lost consciousness. As a result of the dangers of the storm and the shipwreck, will each of you please reduce your current hit points by half, or to eight, whichever is lower. Then please tell me what your current HP is.
4: Is there any way I could have taken this in wild shape, or no?
1: Sea life was caught up in it as well. If there was a wild shape that you would have changed into, then we can take that into account for the hit points.
4: Yeah, I would have turned into my reef shark form. So
1: you'll be reduced to eight hit points in your reef shark form.
2: I would be at eight hit points as well
1: then. So we should all be at eight hit points essentially. Except for Alice, who would have been lower, if he hadn't wild shaped.
4: Yeah, except for me, who would have been lower.
1: Kalina, you awaken draped over and clutching to a shattered plank of buoyant wood. Sunlight streams down from the sky above, warming your back. You are adrift in what appears to be a large, placid tide pool, surrounded by a rocky beach that gives way to gleaming white sand that slopes sharply up into cliffs and lush forests. Glancing around the tide pool, you note no dangers above the water's surface. What will you do?
3: She'll take a look to see if there's anyone else around besides just her. Give me a perception check. Fourteen.
1: Within sight of you from this raised tidal pool, you don't see any people. You do see a scattering of various objects, broken planks of wood, likely contents from various storage containers.
3: Articles of clothing. Alright, well, she'll just swim to the surface, or try and swim to the beach first.
1: As your foot goes down from your life-saving plank, as you begin to bring it up to kick, you feel something brush against your leg, and you freeze, slowly pulling yourself up onto it more, until your head is over the other side and you can look down into the clear waters of the tide pool below you. You see that its bed is covered in starfish, but the mouths are on their tops, filled with needle-like teeth.
3: How do you react? She will jerk a bit and just be like, Ugh, oh, great. And then realize that she's still in a whole shit ton of pain and then just kind of lean against the plank she's on. She'd be like... Ah. Then... Probably still try and kick her... Mm. guess try and, like, waddle with her arms instead of her legs. Like, try and bring her legs up cl- as cl- close to the surface as she can and then kind of, like, weird... <laughs> oh, doggy paddle herself to... The- Back?
1: Just very gently brushing the top of the water to move yourself towards the edge of the tide pool.
3: Well, she's gonna try that first, anyway.
1: As you are slowly doing that, do you still look down into the water below?
3: Oh, yeah, she'll be watching to make sure that her feet don't touch the dangerous starfish. Or what she would assume is dangerous.
1: It is quite good for you to assume that they are dangerous. For as you do, you do find that there is someone else here. A corpse of a crew member, already partially eaten. Multiple of these starfish cling, covering its form, almost. Enough that you can't tell if this was once a man or a woman, save that it was a member of the crew, because of the clothing that it wears. But you can see that it does have a knife that hasn't been covered by the sea stars.
3: Yep, is going to try and get that knife and just be a little revolted for a quick segue. As you are
1: reaching towards this knife underwater, and I assume you're trying to do this, perhaps, are you trying to do this a bit stealthily, or are you trying to do this really quickly,
3: Oh, very carefully. She's trying to go slow as not to uh, have. make as many. W- She's trying to go as slowly as she can in the water so that she doesn't just dis- trigger the starfish, hopefully.
1: Moving ever so slowly. You slowly reach down. You realize that the, well, the water has made it seem closer than it is, but you can just barely touch it. As you do, it slightly moves the sheath of the knife. It's just barely touching one of the legs of a sea star. And that sea star begins to pull closer, begins to shift towards that, towards the knife that you are slowly trying to draw. Are you going to jerk the knife now up? Are you going to drop it or are you going to try and continue to slowly remove it from the sheath as the sea star moves towards it?
3: She will instinctively jerk, not knowing what else to do to try and jerk the sword knife up. Like she sees it and is like, oh shit, tries to quickly jerk the knife out.
1: Can you give me a sleight of hand check then to represent quickly drawing the knife out? You jerk the knife up, but as you do, you see the sea star almost pounces towards it. And the top of it, its mouth almost splays open, and this organ inside almost comes flying out and just briefly hits the side of your hand. Can you please give me a dexterity saving throw?
3: Yeah, I can do that.
1: Oh, that's better. 22. You will pass, which will give you half damage on this. You will take one acid damage. As this sea star of an Atsakanian variety expels its stomach as a means of ranged hunting. The acids on it slightly burn at your hand where it touches but you are able to draw the knife and yank it out luckily it does not seem like the sea star can swim for it stays along the bottom and the stomach is not expelled towards the surface you watch as it reels its stomach back in little bits of your skin clinging to the outside of it that are pulled in And slowly
3: devoured. Are you going to continue to the coast, to the edge of the pool? Yep. She takes a second to just kind of calms her snurs and like caresses her hand. Where like, God damn that hurt. And then she'll continue on.
1: The time stretches. It seems excruciatingly long. How slow you are going at this. But eventually. You're able to get your plank up by the edge of the pool, and with it, slowly pull your body over and up onto the rock, quickly rolling away from the sea stars in the tidal pool. As you push yourself up and you look about, you can see that a beach stretches around you. It's quite rocky. And it is covered with debris from the ship. It looks like barrels and crates were smashed. Various planks from the ship as well. But not just the ship, you can see older wrecks around here as well. But you don't see another person. What do you do?
3: How late does it look in the day right now?
1: The sun is quite high.
3: So it probably is somewhere in the early afternoon. So Kalina will just walk the beach towards the crates. Are there any bodies on this beach? Or right now it's just crates and things littered about?
1: As you continue, you do find people. All of them are dead. Or parts of them at least. You find a hand snagged between two rocks here. A bit of a lower torso. It seems that perhaps something has been feeding. Or they were torn apart in the storm. And as this begins to sink in, you hear a strange sound.
3: A clucking. A chicken's clucking. What will you do? Where does the clucking sound like it's coming from?
1: A bit further away. A bit of the rocky beach sort of draws up into a bit of sand. And it sounds like it's coming from the other side of that dune.
3: Uh, all right. Well, first, Kalina's going to try and look through the things across the beach, see if there's anything uh, useful uh, weapon-wise. Uh, the other thing she's looking for are clothes to kind of like start patching up her wounds with basic bandages.
1: You can find clothes that you can patch the wounds up, but remember they have they are all wet with sea, seawater, or they've dried and are caked with salt and sand. As you're also searching, you can find that there is a large piece of sailcloth and broken rigging. ...scattered over a couple and through some tidal pools... ...which you might be able to salvage rope from.
3: Alright, she would grab some of the dry clothes... ...to kind of knock them off later... ...and she'll definitely try and grab a, salvage a rope at, from the rigging.
1: You can salvage 30 feet of usable rope. And... ...give me a... ...medicine check. If you are proficient in a healer's kit... You can have proficiency with this medicine check
3: if you're not proficient. I am not proficient with a medicine kit. Oh, well, that's there's my net 20 for the night, (laughs) so it's a 20. You're able to bandage up your wounds
1: and you're able to wrap some bandages around your hands so that if you need to grab anything, it won't be and that there's something as dangerous as the stomach of one of those sea stars, it won't burn your skin right on contact. As you continue doing this, you hear a... a strange sound. While you can still hear the clucking, you also hear what almost sounds like a goat? But this is from a little bit further up the beach.
3: She'll cautiously walk towards the sounds and try and, like, peek over the dune to see if she can see what's on the other side.
1: So you get to choose which way you want to go. They're in opposite directions at the moment. Alright, she'll go towards the chickens. As you make your way, creeping up over this rise and this dune, you see scattered about broken barrels and such, looking like spoiled food stuff has been spilled. And where there appears to have been spilled feed for animals of some kind, there are two chickens pecking away. They look like they are slightly encrusted with salt, but they somehow survived that storm better than whatever that person or people
3: that were torn apart did. Kalina will be make a curious note. So is it like still like a continuation of the beach on this other side?
1: Continuation of beach. I should tell you this. I'm telling you this out of character. The beach stretches for miles. <laughs> In character, you're on like one section of beach. The beach is probably about 300 feet from shore to base of cliffs. But then the beach stretches out lengthwise, or width
3: widthwise, what what
1: whatever it is, uh, a considerable amount of distance and goes along the coastline.
3: So I can imagine like as she's looking over the dune, she just sees beach forever along with the cliffs on her right?
1: Kind of ish. Yeah. At the moment, yes. The cliffs would be on your left if you were to go in the direction of where you heard what might have been a goat.
3: But she doesn't see any people moving, she just sees these animals and just broke more broken wreckage in the media as far as she can see tell. As far as you can tell. She'll just keep walking in that direction as far as she can.
1: You want to continue walking past these chickens? Off into that direction?
3: Kalina will try and remember, hey, these chickens are here, but she doesn't know much about handling farm animals that well.
1: Well, remember that you did have... You at least, you had sheep and you did help Alice with them. And you have been around chickens and other farm animals.
3: But besides the rope, I wouldn't have really anything that can hold on hold on to them. Yeah, I guess she'll try and rope them, kind of like with leashes from the rope that she has. Even if she has to cut it up a little bit to do so, and try and chase some of them chickens.
1: Give me an animal handling check.
3: Oh, it's not bad. Sixteen.
1: You'll spend a few minutes chasing these chickens around until you're able to catch one. And you remember a trick that you'd heard about covering a chicken's head and that making it calm down, thinking it was night. And you get your hands over the head of one of them and it first it struggles a bit and then it calms down. And you snug some fabric over its head so that you're able to just hold it under your arm. A few more minutes later, you can catch the other one as well. You now have two chickens. Would you like to continue into the unknown or head back the other way? Also into the unknown, but to the sound of a goat.
3: For now, we'll just, uh, she'll just keep, she'll debate a minute, thinking, well, we could use the goats, but I don't have anything to carry them. Uh, Might as well bring them along, I guess. And she'll begrudgingly turn around and walk towards the goats (laughs) and be like, if I'm bringing the animals...
1: As you come over a rise, you find that this is a bit closer, more towards the cliffs, that there is almost a little bit of rocky dune grass that is growing up. And there is a nanny goat, a white nanny goat with grey speckling, her two horns separated by a clear space, delineating her as a nanny rather than a billy munching away on some grass alongside three sheep. As you hold the chickens under your arm and look towards them, the goat looks up towards you and bleats. The stare it gives you is, I have been through hell. I have seen things. There's nothing you can do that's gonna stop me from eating this grass. Or at least that's the intensity that you get from that stare. If such a goat could ever give such a stare. On the other hand, the three sheep, upon seeing you, let out happy bleats. And you notice that, based off the coloring and the patterns on their face, you think these might have been Alice's, some of Alice's sheep.
3: What will you do? So that you see a bunch of grass and grass, and the cliffs are closer on this on this side.
1: Yeah, the cliffs are closer. You've been following the sound of this goat until you've come you're probably now about thirty feet,
3: forty feet from the cliffs. And I'm assuming it's the same thing. like if I keep looking straight on, it's just beach for as far as she can see.: So the thing
1: to for this is these dunes for this beach go up and down. You're not able to necessarily see that far.
3: Alright, is there... uh, I'm assuming there's... Is there woods... Or wood, like, scattered across this side as well? Like, broken wood pieces and things like that?
1: Yeah. Though the wood back here appears to be
3: much older. Clean will go... As good a spot as any. Uh, And then kind of, like, put the chickens down and will start taking, trying to uh, build, like, posts to pitch the animals, so she'll probably spend most of her time doing that. Uh, going back to where the chickens were to grab wood, and feed, and then, or as much as she can kind of grab, and kind of try and build, like, a makeshift pen of some sorts, and try and herd the animals in. Or try to. That, that would be what she would Wants to try and do right now.
1: Interesting. And with that, we'll move on. Sylvie, you awaken to the feel of the sun kissing your skin. You lay on the sand, your head to the side. At your feet, water gently laps, wetting your toes. You've apparently lost your shoes in the struggle somehow. Your muscles groan, and your head spins, heavy and fogged. But you are alive. What do you do?
2: So we would first look around to see if there's anybody else anywhere near her that she can spot? Looking about,
1: you feel as if everything is being seen from a distance. Details are fuzzy, and your head pounds. A dizziness and feeling you associate with the eyes of the many. And you remember, Losh explaining one day in the crow's nest that if you were wearing the eyes while another person was wearing them and farther away from you, than allows them to operate, that they would make you dizzy and nauseous. You are still wearing them.
2: Great. I would like to take them off and... I don't... I'll just carry them unless I ha- I'm assuming I don't have a bag or anything. As
1: you pull the eyes down to hang around your neck... You continue to look around and you realize that the rope that had been connecting you to Lachesis and Khan has snapped. As you look at that, you think you hear Lachesis's voice. It's not that far away going, get back, stay back, ouch, out. no, get, get off me, ouch, ouch. Well, I would like to go in that direction then. As you get up and you start to head in that direction, looking around the area, you see dunes of beautiful sand stretch between the ocean and a section of Lush forest that spills down the tall cliffs through a ravine. As you follow Lush's voice, you find him half-buried in sand, with a few large crabs, about the size of squirrels, skittering around him and snapping at him with their claws. He has one arm free from the sand and is busily trying to shoo them away while simultaneously digging himself out from how he has been caught in the sand.
2: Stay back! Ow! Can I go walk up and like try and shoo the crabs away? Will they run away if I walk up?
1: As you walk up to them and you start to shoo them away, they will scuttle off. And Luscious will look up at you as he continues to try and free himself. Thank you.
2: You're welcome.
1: I was worried you were buried somewhere under the sand here.
2: Yeah, I, I'm i glad at least we made it. Hopefully hopefully we're not alone. Have you seen anyone else? Have you seen Khan? No, you're the first one I've seen, but does he have the goggles on?
1: His goggles are down around his neck. It seems like he pulled them down pretty quick. But as you look at him, you note that there's a gash on his forehead and that's oozing a bit. And there, And he has a couple cuts and bruises. As he continues to sort of dig himself out, will you help him?
2: Yeah, Sylvie so would help,
1: like, pull him out and dig the sand out. As you help him get pulled out, he tells you that he remembered you all being tied together, but the rope, it it snapped during the storm. Or, or maybe Khan cut it when the three of you were careening towards something. Uh, he, he remembers the, the mast of the ship snapping. And the the crow's nest being pulled towards the towards the water spout. Everything went dark after that. I I don't know. I being so close to shore with the magic being stable. I just out of habit, my mind. I I reached out. There was just so much terror, and then there was something else something that I touched Uh, and then I was just darkness until I was my nose was being pinched
2: well I mean I it could have been worse at least we're both alive (laughs) although I can't imagine that was a very pleasant way to wake up no no
1: he he leans as you've pulled him out he's sort of trying to dust sand off him off himself
2: and he starts to look around. What do you think we should do? I mean, I guess we just pick a direction and start walking, right? Somebody has to be somewhere. And I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Con wore an earring, didn't he? Yes. I can try and locate that.
1: Why don't you look around for a few minutes and I'll I'll try and find that with magic. You see him sort of lean back and sit down with his eyes closed.
2: Alright, you're sure you're okay? I... Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. I...
1: Just... just don't go far.
2: Alright, right, will do. Sylvie will wander a little ways away, but not very far.
1: As you wander around, you come across a portion of the beach where there is some scattered things... And there is a person. There's a colonist face
2: down on the sand. Sylvie would probably run over and. They're face down, so like roll them over and see are they okay?
1: You roll them over and you recognize this person as Gaius Hematari. He was a man that worked in the mines. Uh, You knew him actually to be quite a lecherous man. Uh, Whenever he was loaded with cash, he would basically try and proposition anything with two feet. Man or woman. His face... is set. And is ashen. He is dead. His clothes are encrusted with salt where they're dry. And he is clutching with rigor mortis, a leather over-the-shoulder
2: bag. Oh gosh, now I have to decide if I'm going to steal from the dead. Ugh. I think Sylvie so would say a prayer to Ashen and then just be like, well, he's not using it anymore and try and pull the bag out from his hands.
1: You pull the bag out, and you can see that behind the bag, strapped to his belt, there is a knife with a sheath. Inside the bag, there are some ruined, waterlogged rations, because you have to empty the bag out of water. There's a sealed flask, there's a drenched change of clothes, and there is a little figurine that looks like it has been carved to represent Liana in her guise of lady luck
2: she would definitely also take the knife and the sheath oh my gosh you say your prayer and
1: you take the knife you have the knife and sheath in the bag and as you stand up looking about you can see that there is a bit of some rocky tidal pools nearby and you hear a
2: bedraggled concern Bah! Oh, do I, do I recognize this sheep? Does it look like one of Alice's sheep who I've been taking care of while he's been gone, or, well, locked in the bridge? Are you going to head in the direction of it?
1: Yes, yeah. She's gonna
2: go walk over.
1: Coming up over these tidal pools, you see that there's another set of tidal pools, just a bit down. The tidal pools that you pass, they're teeming with life. Little anemones, various fish swimming through them. You see some strange little reptilian creatures skittering about as well. And then you come upon this section that is almost looks like this carpet of green over this area. That is, these small little coin-shaped leaves... Just cover this area in front of you, and standing probably about ten feet from you is Geneva,
2: oh Geneva,
1: it looks like she is stuck a bit in this in these green in this greenery, and there's a bit of kelp that is over this that is like draped over her. Maybe perhaps her hooves are stuck and a shadow passes over you and looking up you can see that there's these bird-like creatures circling. You can just see their silhouettes in the sky circling above you or above Geneva.
2: Well, Alice is going to be so happy to see you when we get back, whenever we find him. She's going to walk up to Geneva and like keep talking to her and try and get her f- out of whatever she's stuck in
1: as you take a few more steps over this you realize that this these coin-shaped leaves are actually leaves of seaweed covering a tidal pool and you slip down into it it only comes up to about your knees but you can feel that in this t- these tidal pools that whatever these these leaves are that they are they have a very extensive root system underneath them. And as you make your way over, you almost feel like your legs are maybe just a little numb. Maybe, the, maybe these have plants have a natural anesthetic. And you realize that as you are pulling Geneva's hooves up, that it's not that she can't move, it's that her, her hooves have gone numb, and she doesn't know how to walk at the moment. Give me an animal handling as you try to help her and, like, drag her out of this pool. Okay, let's see.
2: All right, well, that was not too bad. Uh, 19 plus 3, so
1: 22. You are able to get Geneva. She is very helpful. She basically leans into you the moment. you. She has always been a black sheep, but right now it seems like she really wants to be with her flock. And you are her flock. She is very helpful as she tries to lean in towards you. One of her hooves, it does appear, was actually stuck, wedged just between two rocks. Do you get her out and out of this bed of this carpet of coin-shaped leaves of seaweed? As you walk back towards Luscious, Geneva pressing herself against you hiding almost in your shadow. You'll hear Luscious call out, I've got a connection.
2: I at least know where his earring is. Great, well, hopefully it's not at the bottom of the ocean. Um, I found a sheep. He gives you a very quizzical look at the sheep that's hiding
1: in your shadow. And then he closes his eyes briefly and then opens them again and points in the direction of the tree line, that ravine that spills the jungle down into the beach. You begin to head that way, making the 300 feet, before the trees begin. And all along the way, you see remnants and signs of the Dauntless's destruction. Scattered debris are all about you. But as you close on this stand of trees, you see where you are making a beeline. It appears that the main mast, or at least the top portion of it, including the crow's nest, was hurled by the force of the storm into these trees. Luscious points up into the trees, great, broad things with interwoven, twisting branches that curl out from a thick central trunk, covered in broad, saw-toothed leaves, each the size of your torso. He's up there. Are you sure? Yes. You'll see him. He goes a bit in. He points straight up, right up there. And you can see that it looks like the top of the crow's nest. Has landed in the tree that he is pointing up into.
2: Do the trees look climbable?
1: They do. The lower branches look like they might not be necessarily able to maintain your weight, but if you. if Lachis were to give you a push up, you'd definitely be able to climb them.
2: I wish he wasn't so sore from being, like, tossed around in the ocean. Um. I, well, I think I'm gonna go try and climb up there and. I mean, at least see. I, if he's. If he's okay, I don't want to leave him. Will you help me up into the tree? Of course.
1: You see him put his hands out to try and help you up, and he pushes you up into the lower branches. As you're going up, Geneva lets out this loud, unhappy bleat as you are going up. Just almost inconsolable that she can't follow you up into the tree. But Luscious begins to sort of scratch her under the chin and he seems to be trying to win her over and calm her down so that she stops bleeding and giving away your position to anyone and everything out there. Can you give me an athletics check? We're gonna do this as a skill challenge. For this skill challenge, we're gonna start it with an athletics check and then the next two, you'll get to choose which skill you'd like to use. It can't be the same as a skill you've chosen before, and we'll see how you adapt to the things that you find up here.
2: <laughs> great. That's perfect. Not ominous at all. Oh my god. Okay, well, the first one was uh, not great. I rolled a two, which is plus three, so I got a five.
1: As you are climbing up, your foot slips a bit, and you... You reach out, but you're just barely able to keep yourself up there. But the branch you're on doesn't seem like it's necessarily a very stable one. As you look about to pick the next branch, how would you like to? Which skill would you like to engage?
2: Can I use acrobatics to, like, I don't know. Like, fling myself up to a different branch? Of course. Go right ahead. Fabulous. we will not roll a two this time, I'm confident. I have a plus six, um, but I rolled a natural one.
1: <laughs> you didn't roll a two.
2: I didn't roll a two, I was correct. Uh, so I got a
1: seven. This branch that you fling yourself up onto, it wobbles far more than you want it to but you're able to just barely hold on. You don't slip back down and fall to the ground below. What skill, you can't use athletics or acrobatics now, will you use to help you choose this next branch?
2: I don't know. Can I use just, like, straight dexterity?
1: Would you like some suggestions?
2: Yeah, that would be great.
1: Okay, so you could use, say, perhaps something like... Perception to try and look for a branch that looks more sturdy. Uh, you could use something from, say, your uh, survival to try and see if you notice any dangers as you're moving to the next section of it. Uh, you could use your knowledge of nature, even uh, things like that. Like you can try and get you can get creative with them as well. Like you could even theoretically try to say use performance to. While you're trying to do it, too, because you're going to be using your your dance dancing skills.
2: Okay, cool. I think then I would want to use survival to see if I spot anything so I don't grab onto like a giant snake or something thinking it's a branch. Go right ahead. All right, this has to be better, right? All right. <laughs> it was 17. So 17 plus five. So 22. As
1: you are reaching out towards this next section, you notice that there are fruit growing in this tree. Conical, spiky fruit. And noting them, you realize that there are a couple branches that you should really avoid as you're going up. And you don't make the mistake of reaching out towards any of them with the possibility of either having the fruit brush against you or fall and hit either Lachus or Geneva. You're able to get a bit higher up into the tree. What skill would you like to use next?
2: Yeah, we'll do performance. We'll see how how beautifully she can continue climbing through the tree.
1: Go right ahead.
2: Well, that's a 9, so 9 plus 3 is 12. That is
1: still a success. You've made it up into the upper branches of the tree now. You can see the main mast. At this point in time, you have used survival, performance, acrobatics, and athletics. What skill would you like to use now? This will be the make or break of your situation.
2: I don't know. Somebody think of a way I can use medicine to climb a tree. (laughs) Um, can I use perception to find the best branch?
1: Yes, you can.
2: (laughs) Great. Alright, so that is a twelve... Fifteen.
1: That is a success. You're able to reach out and grab onto a branch. You reached out and almost grabbed onto one branch. But noticed that it looked like there was almost a little bit of rot on it. So you reached out and grabbed onto another one, pulling yourself up onto it and then balancing your way up the mainmast and into the crow's nest. Khan lays there, still in the crow's nest. He looks exceedingly hurt. From where you're standing, you can see that his shoulder has been pierced by a branch. And he is... a pale color. He appears to be going gray. He looks to be in critical condition.
2: Well, he's still alive, so... I would like to... Sylvia's just gonna pray to Ash, and then she's gonna cast Cure Wounds and hope that the weird magic laws of the sea or all of the weird magic happening here is not going to completely make this awful so she'll kneel over him and say patient one kindness does never mind doesn't matter okay patient one kindness you who fight so ardently to support life i ask that you fill me with your grace let your divine touch through me new life and strength to live another day. She's going to really hope that Ashen's powers work here because... There is a
1: flare and you see the shroud almost form over him briefly and he begins to heal a bit. As his flesh begins to knit around the branch, you quickly realize that you need to pull him off of it and you pull him off of the branch. He lets out a yelp and as the magic continues its work, knitting him a bit together... Please roll what HP he'll gain.
2: Unlike every other dice roll pretty much I've rolled tonight, it was an 8, so he heals for 8 and I did 11 points.
1: That is fantastic. He is going to look a lot better, but he's delirious as this is happening, as he looks up at you and goes, Are you one of Ashen's? If you come to collect me, I didn't think you were real. But there was a girl that told me about you. Tell me. Are you
2: collecting her too?
4: And
1: he passes out in your arms.
2: Alright, okay! Now, how do I get him out of the tree? (laughs) She's gonna call down to Lashes. Okay, I've got him, he's alive. Um, But he's unconscious, and I don't know. I don't know how to get uh, both of us out of this tree.
1: Is there any rope still in the crow's nest? You could tie it and sling it down and try and bring them down over your shoulder. Looking about, uh, yeah, there's still rope in the crow's nest. There's a spool of rope that's wrapped around the middle section of it that you can unwrap. And you know that that will be about 60 feet of rope, which will be more than enough to get down to the bottom.
2: Does it seem like it would make more sense to try and, like, tie the rope onto him and lower him down? Or to, like, try and strap him to myself and climb down with both of us?
1: You could do either. If you were to tie it around him and lower him down, you'd probably have more control. You're unsure how things would shift up here with the difference in weight, but it's doable. Or you could tie him to yourself and then try and make your way down.
2: I think I'm going to tie him to myself and try and climb us both down. You tie him around yourself, and you begin
1: to make your way down, Luscious yelling up to you when it looks like you're going to move to a wrong branch or one that he can see doesn't look as good as one that you can. And as you're making your way down, there is a distant peal of thunder, and suddenly, out of nowhere, there's a thin white fog that just rushes in. You're able to navigate your way down. Lachus, who begins to look at Khan, at you, helps you untie and re-spool the rope over your shoulders. Maybe you even wrap it around and put it on to Geneva so that she's carrying it instead of you. But as this fog continues around, we'll shift scenes away from you, leaving you in the fog. Alice, you took the form of a reef shark, right?
4: Correct.
1: Excellent. Alice, near the trailing end of the storm... As Maya had clutched to you... Right before the two of you had lost consciousness... You had been in the form of the reef shark. But now the two of you awaken... Maya clutching to you, Alice as once you were unconscious, you lost your reef-sharp, wild shape. You awaken on a lightly pebbled, sandy beach, one that stretches before you, the brown-green waters of a storm-tossed sea behind you, and outcroppings of rock and debris from wrecks scattered all about. as you each blink your eyes, stinging with salt. You hear a muffled calling out, voices amidst spluttering gasps of water.
0: Help! 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 Help!" Maya wakes, like, I guess sort of comes to herself with a... a Start, and she says, "Antonia!" And then sort of looks around her, recognizes that she has been reliving a nightmare, and then looks down to see if Alice is okay.
4: Alice will say, but I'm not Antonia. I'm Alice."
0: Oh, thank goodness, Alice! I'm so glad you're all right.
4: What happened? I don't know. Were you yelling help?
0: No. we were, were you... Help! Oh let's go. Rush towards wherever the sound is coming from.
1: As you race towards the sound of struggling survivors, you come upon a shattered remnant of the Dauntless. The very bow of the ship, or at least a part of it, lies partially submerged by water and sand. Trapped on one side, you see three survivors struggling to free themselves as the waves threaten to drown them or crush them. It appears that their legs, or at least the lower extremities, have been sucked down into the sand or are slightly under the, the bowsprit and the figurehead of the Dauntless. Nearing them, you recognize these three to be Petros, the quiet blacksmith who proposed to Maya prior to the Dauntless leaving for Atzikam, Edda, a local priestess of Gnosis, though unpracticed in divine miracles, and Eutropius Sintic. A stooge of the Warden, who in the past has gotten your group in trouble many a time during your sentence in Vesican's prison.
4: What will you do? Hey, Cass. How far away are they from us?
1: They're about 20 feet from you now.
4: Okay, I will just use my Mold Earth to make it all, like, kind of... Well, the way that it'll work is almost as if the entirety of them in the span of... I think it's five feet, so that should get like one of them at a time. I'll just drag them towards me while they're still on the ground, and then just pop them out of it.
0: Meanwhile, Maya is rushing for them. <laughs> she has no such fancy abilities. She's ready to dig them out with her hands.
1: You can t- you can target an area of loose earth and instantly excavate it, move it along the ground, and deposit it up to five feet away. So I think you can move the dirt, but you won't be able to move them.
4: Themselves, the people. Yeah, but if they're in it, can I just drag them with it, and then just like lift it under them to kind of solidify it right under their feet? To sure. Bring them out.
1: I'll give it. it to you because they're already surrounded by loose earth. You can pick one person to do this on for this action, and then the next action you can go.
4: You said it's a priestess.
1: There is Petros, the blacksmith, Edda a Priestess of Gnosis, and Eutropius Syntych, a Stooge of the Warden.
4: Well, I will firstly be getting the Priestess ladies first. I will, like, r- rake my hands out and drag it backwards, and the sand, you know, kind of like in a wave, moves her along, and then will lift her with it, excavating out of it. She's deposited
1: on the ground as another wave of water comes Pushing through as it does, it grabs more sand and sucks it down, and you see Petros and Eutropius almost sort of get half pulled a bit deeper into the ground as this void is being filled. The, ver- the Dauntless's bow and the figurehead of the beautiful woman almost leans deeper into the earth here now as the waves pound and roll against it. You see fear actually flash in their eyes Eutropius going Help! You have to help me! Help me! And Petros looking up at you both Looking towards Maya and just going uh, No words coming out of his mouth
0: Maya's definitely running as fast as she can to get to them You can get
1: to them Are you trying to pull one out? Are you trying to dig another one out?
0: Maya is going to fall beside Petros and start digging with all of her might to make space for him to wiggle out from under the ship. And as she's doing it, she's saying, I'm so sorry. Oh, I can't believe this has happened. I lost your knife. And now, and then this, I don't, uh, I'm going to get you out of here. Uh, and, then, and then you can be mad at me, but I don't, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be okay.
1: Oh, Miss Maya, I, I won't be mad at you. Please, I... I just... As you're struggling to free these three, or now just these two, will both of you please give
0: me a perception check? Oh, that's not going to be good.
4: I did great. Oh, good. That is a 19 plus. One. Dirty 20.
0: Eleven.
1: Alice, you'll notice this. Amidst the pound of the rolling waves, you begin to hear a sound. At first, certain waves sound harder, heavier even, as they pound into the beach. But then the sound moves slightly, off cadence to the roll of the waves. The sound of powerful
4: wings. oh No. Do I see any shadows on the ground?
1: Are you going to look up?
4: Yes, I am.
1: A shadow skims through the sky, dipping in and out of low-lying clouds that have begun to form, like a graceful skater upon a pond. And then it dives straight towards you. All a flash of metallic green and brown scales, banded in silver and gold, like a beast out of legend. Razor claws and fang-like teeth, with wings large enough to eclipse the sun. And a head like that of a serpent, trailing a vapor of noxious fumes. A dragon. A true living dragon and as it dove it roared will both of you please make a wisdom saving throw for me this is an effect that will create fear in case you have any bonuses related to that
4: an 11 so I got an 8 plus 3
1: (laughs) 13 you are both frightened of this dragon so you have the frightened condition for the next minute overcome with fear stunned by this appearance of a creature out of legend you can barely move as it descends and with powerful razor-sharp claws lifts the bowsprit into the air with a trilling roar with a tone reminiscent of a child finding a shiny rock to add to its collection before its slitted eyes notice the humans beneath it and widen. There's a flash of lightning, the booming roll of thunder, and suddenly dense sea fog blinds you to what occurs next. Though from the sound of wing beats disappearing into the distance, you can only assume the creature of legend has departed. What goes through your minds? Um,
4: <laughs> where do we begin? It's it.
0: Yes, Maya's like, okay, this is so much worse than I thought.
4: Oh, I mean, I think truthfully Alice is going into automatic. I don't think any of them have seen Alice ever feel the need to be serious in this way. So Alice is truthfully only thinking about saving Maya at the moment and getting them out of there. And that's it.
0: I think Maya's just clutching handfuls of sand, feeling absolutely stunned and trying to get, like, trying to start breathing again.
1: Alice, from behind you, where a pile of sand had deposited Etta, there's a squeak. What was that? It's a few moments later that your vocal cords begin to soften enough that you feel like you can speak. Maya, even though the fog has dense around you, you've been able to get Petros out. Eutropius has dug himself up and sort of backed away from you. From all, all of you. And he looks at you and goes, You're cursed. You... Brought death to the Dauntless? This is all your fault. All of this. And he's going to scamper up into a run and
4: disappear into the fog. Why did that angry man just blame us for a dragon?
0: I think Maya has been, without really realizing that she's doing it, clutching Petros, but this has sort of brought her to her senses, and she's realizing that, A, this is, like, not a thing that she would ever normally do, and B... He's probably really mad at her. She's done something really terrible. So she's gonna let go of him kind of move away, look at Alice and say, Yeah. I mean I think he's mad about Sharuna. and well I, he's not right about the dragon. That's not our fault.
4: No, it's not, the- not our fault.
0: Okay. Right. That was I don't I don't even know, I don't know I don't even know what to say what what, what do we do now?
4: Is everyone okay, dear? Are you all right over there? Everyone's all right?
0: Yes, a- Alice, of course. T- is, is anyone injured?
1: Well, Miss Maya, I I, I'm, I think I'm doing okay. Uh, just a bit damp and battered about, but are you doing okay?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think, I think I'm about the same. And Maya's going to pat herself because she's sort of like, actually, I haven't even had a moment to think about whether I'm okay or not, but finding no, like, really horrific injuries, she's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay. Alice, Edda, are you okay?
1: Edda, behind you, is muttering a prayer to Gnosis. She is muttering a prayer asking him to wake her up from this nightmare.
0: Okay, so, I mean, well, well, we're, we're all alive. Right, I'm alive. And that's a step in the right direction.
4: You're alive.
0: None
4: of us are dead. Okay. So... The the Dauntless is right here. Do we... Is anyone else alive? Do you guys know what, what happened to them? To correct you, the the Dauntless itself isn't
1: there. The bowsprit a moment ago was. Uh-oh. But that dragon flew off with it.
4: Oh, my. I see. I see. Hmm.
1: The rest of the Dauntless, it seems to be from your original survey, was... Possibly broken into lots of itty-bitty pieces scattered along the
4: coast. Hmm. So, it's a a one-way trip, I suppose. Right, right. I guess it always was. Just, we were supposed to have stuff with us, like supplies and people. And everyone's dead and there's no supplies, so we don't have either of those things.
0: Well, um, I mean, I really hoped... That one shipwreck would be enough for a lifetime, but uh, apparently it's not. So, I think we just pick pick a direction, start yeah walking. If if we washed up, uh, maybe other people wait. have as well, and and maybe we'll find some wait Maya supplies or something. Maya, sorry, Alice.
4: What? Where is Sylvie? and galina and marcus
0: i don't know in the i just grabbed onto you when in all the turbulence and i, I could i couldn't keep track of everyone
3: mm.
0: but we can't be the only ones that survive we just let's not panic let's not uh let's let's not be distressed let's we just have to start walking and we'll we'll find what we find. But that said, I mean you and I, at, at least, uh should should be careful because some people want to kill us. And you know, we were kinda lucky that uh that uh that unpleasant man ran away instead of attacking us Oh
4: right. Right. People don't like us, right.
0: Maya's gonna turn to Petros and to Edda and say, I understand if you don't want to stay with us, but at, at the moment, if we're all that there is, it, it might be better if we if we stay together.
1: Etta looks to you and says, If this is not a dream, then Gnosis meant for me to be with you. I am sure that you can explain why you did what you did. Certainly. But that is not needed at this time. I think that there are more pressing matters at the moment. We need to find if anyone is alive. And if not that, then we at least need to find tools that will enable us to survive.
0: Yes, well well put. Maya will turn to Petros, but is kind of dreading finding out what he has to say.
1: He has been nodding along to what Etta has been saying, and he'll say, I'm not going anywhere without you, Miss Maya, right now. I'm sure that we can talk about this later. Thank you. With that thing flying about, we'll be better
0: in numbers. I, for one, would feel better if we had some weapons, so hopefully that's something that we'll come across on the beach.
4: Remember the word weapons. I'm going to assume that my familiar was poofed because they did not wake up with him. <laughs> or they, rather, them.
1: Would you like to try and dismiss your familiar, if your familiar is alive somewhere, and re-bring it back? It will take you about 12 seconds to do that.
4: Yes, I would.
1: You send your mental thought out, dismissing your familiar, and then you call, and there's just a suddenly, an exceedingly wet scarf on you. You may have just called your, your- maybe your familiar was swimming for fun. That sounds about right. And this disdainful look comes up at you from the side, from your familiar going, Well, it took you long enough to wake up. I almost caught a fish.
4: Almost?
1: I've been toying with it for the last hour.
4: Well, that's just brilliant. I guess we'll just eat dirt for dinner.
1: Oh no, there's all. Most of the livestock survived, scattered about. And I'm sure that there are other things. There's, there's things you can eat here.
4: I forgive you for not getting the fish you Now, Alice will kind of hold his hand uh, in a cone kind of shape. He's going to use his druid craft to make like a warm breeze go up amongst the cat's wet fur to try to dry him off as they continue.
1: You're familiar in its worm form. will sort of lean forward and let this nice breeze come over it. And it will settle against you, and yawn, but it will stay awake, its eyes open and alert, looking out into the fog, as the four of you begin your search. And with that, we'll shift over to Kalina. In the distance, Kalina, there's a peal of thunder, and dense fog suddenly covers this entire section of coast. The animals start a bit, scared. You haven't been able to erect a pen, but you did realize that you could splice the rope, or unsplice it, and form sort of leashes for the goat and for the three sheep that you now have, and the two chickens which you can hold under your arms. As this whiteout rushes in, what are you going to do?
3: Any rocks that look like that could be... I don't know. And that could provide any sort of cover? Like any, like, caves in the immediate area? Oh,
1: well, there are, It doesn't look like there are any caves, at least that you've seen. But there's bits, like... There are whole h- portions of shipwrecks that are jutting up out of the sand in places. All of them... Seemingly missing the front of a ship.
3: Any that look like... Okay, then they'd definitely be big enough to cover the animals then, right? Yes. Alright, uh, thinking it's a thunderstorm or some type of weather on the way, she'll kind of try and start corralling the animals towards the place. Okay, come on, let's, let's go. Over here. As you corral them towards
1: this, as the fog begins to get heavier and then begins to lighten, you hear a familiar voice calling out a familiar female voice Erastos Erastos answer me where are you Erastos it's the sound of Catrin hey Katrin, over here
3: she'll yell as loud as she can
1: Catrin gets closer her voice distraught she's clearly looking for her husband Erastos and as she gets close and sees you out of the fog you see that her expression it falls a bit
3: Oh. Well, either take cover under here or try your luck out there. I don't care. Come on. Come on, little sheep. Let's go.
1: Katrin takes cover with you. And after a few more minutes of brooding silence, she helps you with the animals. She'll shoot a look at you. Why'd you do it? Everyone on the ship says that you guys, that everything was your
3: fault. All the people that died.
1: All because you let that monster go.
3: Of course, they'd blame us for their their inability to plan for failure. <sighs> I thought I would be saving us from something even worse later on. A good friend who has gifts said that we should help Sharuna. I thought it was someone on Atskazan itself. didn't realize it'd be some monster that the ship would be using to protect itself. I also didn't know it was protecting us from monsters. The thing
1: had a name?
3: Yeah, that's how I knew who it was. She seems taken aback,
1: a bit shocked by that. And she's quiet for a bit.
3: Well, she's quiet, Kalina will be trying to like pitch the animals to anything to make sure they don't stray far away.
1: As the fog clears, looking out, there's no clouds in the sky, and she looks and g- looks back at you and goes, I don't think there's going to be a storm. That'd be really weird. The weather here is freaky. How so? There was thunder, and then there was suddenly a fog. I'd been up on deck only moments before everything went horrible, and it was... There wasn't a cloud in the sky. There was only just like a, a few small little clouds, and then suddenly it was black storm clouds with thunder and lightning and a waterspout.
3: This dabble was hitting the ship the entire time. It was as if the gods were angry. Well, they'd have plenty to be angry at Tauran about. Yeah.
1: You didn't happen to see Erastos, did
3: you? No, I just saw corpses she looks concerned at that have you seen anyone else just
1: a few corpses I I ran into one or two people I ran into a couple of crew members uh, they seem to be already tr- trying to salvage things you're really lucky that you got some animals I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have to head out and look for Erastos more if you want help with the animals I If you came with me, I could help you.
3: We have a few hours. We can probably do some searching. I don't see it assumed I was the only one that made it in this area. I don't even know where this area is. I don't either.
1: But we shouldn't leave the animals here. Someone else will most assuredly come in and take them.
3: And the crew was supposed to be on our side. Yeah, we'll bring him along. Really weird that there's no rain with that thunder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And as the two of you set out, working together to corral and move these animals, will shift. Sylvie, you and Luscious, and now a coherent but exceedingly weak con, you've been slowly moving your way around the beach. You've moved away from the tree line after getting anything else that you thought would be useful. There were a couple of those fruits from the tree that had already fallen to the ground. Would you like to have collected those as well?
2: Yeah, I think so.
1: They're a bit spiky, and the ones that have fallen around the ground, they, they you, as, when you smell them, they almost smell a little bit like fermentation. But they don't show any sign of rot.
2: Maybe these will make good for something, at least. Hopefully.
1: As the rest of the fog has melted away, there's... Nothing after that thunder for you. No clouds, no rain. The three of you make your way out, back onto the beach to begin to comb and look for things. To look for people, and anything useful that might, you might come across. And as you do, you hear voices. Look at that one over there. Take the shirt off that one. That's, that's a good knife. Are you going to approach... And climb up a dune to see these where these voices are coming from, or are you going to just head straight towards them or avoid them?
2: Sylvie so would look and see who's talking before she
1: goes right up to them. As you peek over a dune, give me a stealth check. Okay. Fifteen. Looking over, you can see four people. You see Egni Stavros. She's a human female. She's getting on in her years with grey hair and brown eyes, tanned olive skin, and a, a large mole on her left cheek. But her forearms, they're cords of muscle, because she was one of the main butchers in Merstwall. And you know that she absolutely hated Maya. Hated anything that wasn't Tal Ren. Alongside her, there's Ariston Narina, a human male somewhere in his late 30s, with black hair, olive skin, and brown eyes, Ivo Callistos, a younger human somewhere in his early 20s, with brown hair, the same olive skin that most people from Tal Ren have, and green eyes, and a halfling. Sereri Eudoxia. Despite her diminutive form, her gray eyes, and deeply tanned skin, the shocking pale red hair on her is the only sign that she's a bit more of a firecracker. You knew her as someone who was quick to temper. But her temper would flare quickly she'd get angry. They seem to be looting bodies and collecting things. And from the looks of it, they've already looted a couple's crew members that had swords.
2: Right, I think we should avoid them. I I just don't want to get in any fights, and you and my friends aren't always the most popular people. With that, you
1: quickly tell Luscious, and with Khan leaning on him, you'll make your way around. The two of them don't give you any complication, and taking a wide arc, you'll make your way around and past this group, and you'll continue heading along the beach. Shifting away, Alice, Maya, Etta, and Petros as the fog has cleared as and the direction you've walked you come upon a part of the coast dotted with crates and barrels and various chests and corpses
0: what will you do okay so as terrible as it sounds we should probably take what we can from the ones that didn't make it and we should make a note of who we found if there are other survivors, they'll... They might want to know what became of their friends.
4: Yes. Um... Looting the dead... It's not very tasteful. Um, but... You know... We're not in an easy situation. So... Onward.
0: We should see what's in the barrels and the crates. Maybe we can take some of the clothing to make makeshift bundles of the things we think we'll need.
4: Great idea! Yes, we will... Maybe... It'd be easier to make shelter that way. than do nothing, so...
0: That too, yeah.
1: Opening the various crates and barrels, you find that most of them, any of the ones that had foodstuff or linens, it's been ruined by the waters. But in some of the crates, you can find a few axes, shovels, and machetes. On the corpses, you can find, amongst them, most of these here appear to be crew members, four knives, and three short swords. You can also find one canvas tarpaulin, and, as you're looking over everything, you find a chest that looks vaguely familiar Looks like it might have been the chest that was down in, or by, the brig. The one that should have your gear locked up in
4: it. Mm. Oh my goodness, this is just perfect. This is just perfect. Oh, good. Let's, uh, should should we try to get it open first, or just take it?
0: Oh no, we should definitely open it. If it has our packs, they'll be easier to carry.
4: Is it just openable, or is it locked it
1: does have a lock. And unfortunately, Kalina's the one that theoretically has the key to it. If the key was on the same chain as the as the one that was for the brig. But on seeing that you're interested in getting this open... Petros sort of makes a motion and asks, gets you to stand back. And taking an axe is blunt on one side, swings it down, and strikes off the lock.
0: Oh, thank you.
4: Alice will clap excitedly. Maya, clap. Oh! It's a great service. A great service. Thank you. Thank you. Is it our gear inside?
1: Yes, it is. And it seems like this chest was quite tight, so it isn't waterlogged and damaged.
4: Let's go through, like, a funny, like, cutscene of us, like, you know, Alice turns around and his cloak just, like, sinks on his shoulders and he's fully dressed. And <laughs> he has his wand that he, like, swoops, like, right into his belt. and
1: Edda and Petros will help you carry uh, Kalina and Marcus's belongings, unfortunately. Sylvie's belongings weren't locked up, so... They're still missing.
4: Is our animal... Do, do we... Like, our animal tokens are here, too?
1: No, this is the crate that contains all the objects you had on you when you were originally sent to the brig. This is not the secret crate.
0: I just, I'm really relieved that we found our things and that... I don't know, I wish Sylvie were here at- I wish there were some way to lay these people to rest. But maybe that should wait. We need to make sure that we survive and don't become like them.
4: Well, I don't know how far she is, but I could always try and use a spell to point us in the right direction if if they are alive.
0: What a wonderful idea, Alice.
4: Yeah, yeah, I should. Okay, all right. I will then. I'm going to use locate object... And it's, uh, I can send you the spell if you want me to, but describe a name or name an object that is familiar to you, and if, it, if it's uh, something that I've held up close, or that I've seen within 30 feet at least once, um, I can locate it. So I'm going to look for the clothes that I made Sylvie first. It has to be within a 1,000 feet, though.
1: You're not exactly sure, but somewhere within a 1,000 feet? along the beach those clothes are and they're moving and with that I think you guys will head in that direction
4: yeah it looks like a mirror that has like kind of like a directional arrow like like, you know a navigation system does (laughs) so it's like a mirror that's like hovering above his hand.
1: The two of you, along with Petros and Etta, will head in the direction that Alice's mirror is taking you, while Kalina, you and Katrin, and Sylvie, you, Khan and Lachas. you'll continue to comb the beach, searching for supplies, survivors, and signs of your friends, till Alice, for you, you can tell that Sylvie is quite close... And the rest of you, you hear each other calling out for each other. Maya calling out for Kalina and Sylvie, for Marcus. Katrin calling out for Erastos. Kalina calling out for Alice and Maya and Sylvie and Marcus. Sylvie, you calling out for Maya, Kalina and Alice and Marcus. And as you each rise over dunes, you find yourselves staring at each other. Will you run to each other?
0: Absolutely.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure.
3: Kalina will try permitting the animals. <laughs> Alice's
1: the three sheep that you have, seeing him, will possibly bull you over, dragging you towards him. <laughs> <laughs> Geneva will also run with Sylvie.
4: I also do his whistle for formation F, which is at ease near him. <laughs> As you
1: all come together, after you have hugged and clasped your friends, touching them, perhaps, pinching them to ensure that they're real, you can relax. Maya, I should note with your passive perception that half buried in the sand, you notice a familiar crate nearby a crate you helped pack in the belly of the Blue General Store.
0: Maya is going to pounce on it and going to start trying to dig it out of the sand. Ooh! These are some of our things!
3: Oh, that'd be great. I felt unsafe with this little knife.
1: As you come around the side of it, you realize that it has been damaged. Broken, actually. As if by a crowbar. A crowbar that is laying discarded in the sand nearby. It appears that someone knew of this secret compartment and broke Mm. into it.
0: Maya's gonna quickly check to see if there's anything left inside.
1: As you inspect the contents and hand what is inside out to the people, Sylvie, you're reunited with your sharkskin cloak... And the figurine of a raven. Maya, you're reunited with your figurine of a badger. Alice, you're reunited with your figurine of a curly horned sheep. And Kalina, you're reunited with your twin short swords and your figurine of a wolf. You realize that the contents of everything belonging to the four of you are here. Only Marcus's rapier and his elk figurine are gone. Nearby, Edda and Katrin embrace in a hug. Hushed words exchanged that Erastos is surely fine, and they will find him soon. Luscious stands a bit awkwardly, in the direction that Sylvie came from, and an unfamiliar figure leans heavily against him, mostly held up by Luscious, blood staining their- the clothes of clearly a crew member. His eyes are closed, As you all sort of stand there, realizing that Marx's things are gone, Luscious says, You know, there are footprints in the sand leading away from that crate if you're missing anything. And it is true. There are footprints that lead further down the beach. Human footprints. And that's where we'll close off for tonight.
0: listening To Roll with Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes go to zapsplat.com purple planet music and arcane anthems full credits are in the episode description
3: am i still here yes okay everything just went silent i'm like oh crap i'm at home i think we're all
1: on mute Or is anyone saying their thoughts but they're on mute? I was just going through my notes really quick, sorry.
4: Thirteen hit points.
0: (laughs) If only I were still a ghost.
4: Yeah, if only Cass, how far are they away are they from us? Sorry, that was jumbled. Can I say it again?
1: (laughs) If you're saying anything, you're muted.
4: We made it, guys. And there's only a dragon to worry about.
3: (laughs) That only Maya and Alice know about.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Only. Just a dragon.